Welcome to the Rock is George podcast. I'm your host, George Dion, and this is episode 130. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit like, follow, or subscribe on the platform that you're listening to us on. And be sure to head over to the loudest.com on the planet, knac.com, for exclusive interviews, album reviews, show reviews that you won't find on the Rock is George podcast. My guest for this episode is vocalist Paul Lane of The Defiance. Back in 1990, Paul Lane released a fantastic solo album called Stick It In Your Ear. I discovered this album maybe 20 years ago, thanks to the advent of internet streaming. It is a near-perfect melodic rock album, in, in my opinion, and somehow it must have got lost in the shuffle when I was younger in 1990, or maybe it was just out there and I was into something else at the time. From there, Paul became the frontman of Hard Rock Act Danger Danger from 1995 to 2001, producing some pretty damn good albums along the way. Paul's been a part of many solo ventures and group ventures since that time period. In 2015, he reunited with fellow Danger Danger bandmates Bruno Ravel and Rob Marcello to form The Defiance. The Defiance are set to release their third album, called Drive, on June 9th through Frontiers Music. And here's Paul Lane to tell you more about it. If I knew absolutely nothing about The Defiance, how would you describe the band's music to me? Boy, that's a tough one. Old guys rocking. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would say we're, uh, you know, we're kind of... Uh, we're a band that kind of has a, a, a nod to the past um, in terms of kind of AOR, old school hard rock, but um, with the with a fresh take on it. It's kind of interesting that term AOR because it didn't exist like in the 80s where that sound yeah. was actually kind of defined. It was just rock music back then. Right, right. But, you know, we're gentlemen who remember when, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So the defiance is sort of like danger, danger in an alternate universe because it it's got three quarters of danger, danger, and uh, it's you, it's Bruno, it's Rob. I mean, how did this project originally come together in 2015? Uh, really, at behest of um, Serafino from Frontiers, um, he had uh, you know, danger, danger had signed with Frontiers and done the Revolve album uh, with that label um and frontiers started sending me record offers back in 2012 to do a solo record but in that time i was busy with uh, in country music and doing dark horse and writing for other artists and i just at that time it just seemed like not the right time to be doing it um and then frontiers approached bruno kind of realizing that bruno and i were still really solid friends and um and uh, I, yeah, I just, you know, decided to do it for sentimental reasons, really thinking, I mean, Bruno and I, we, we talked to each other a couple times a week, have ever since I left Danger Danger and uh, just remained friends. So um, we both just kind of thought it would be a laugh, you know, no one's, no one's going to hear this. But yeah, let's make this record that no one's ever going to hear. <laughs> so we spent three months writing it and, and you know, that was... Um, We had no idea the reaction that it would kind of create. And what was cool with Frontiers is um, the deal we made with them is that you leave us alone. 
you know, we're just going to make the record we want. Um, we refuse to take the money, the advance money. Just hold on to it. If you don't like the record that we hand in, no harm, no foul. You know, because we didn't we really didn't want anybody looking over our shoulders. Um, we just want to make the record that we wanted to make. And him and I both kind of had this sound in our head about, you know, like, what would it be like to do something that sounds modern yet, you know, uh, a, a tip of the cap to the past. And that's that's kind of, I think, what we do well is kind of, you know, match those two kind of eras together. And here we are talking about the third Defiance album uh, comes out on June 9th. It's called Drive for a band that you didn't think was going to get heard. Here we are on your. Right. <laughs> yeah, man, I guess we just kept drinking the Kool-Aid. I don't know. <laughs> I'm super happy that, you know, that we we got to continue on. I mean, obviously, with the success of the first record that allowed the second record to happen and and so on and so forth. So. So this record for sure took us the longest amount of time. I think we felt a lot of pressure to um, not necessarily exceed, but be as good as the last, you know, the last album and, and just kind of move forward in the way that we wanted to musically, um, you know, uh, with the, with the, with the production. So yeah, we, we took a lot of extra care and time with it. Do you guys have the opportunity to get together to write and record? Are you guys far away from each other and it has to be done through file sharing? Never been in the same room for any record ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, Bruno and I write the, write all the songs. Um, we just, you know, talk on the phone. Like Bruno won't even meet me on Skype. We don't even have like, <laughs> He's like, come on, man, I don't look so good. <laughs> uh, so we just, yeah, we just send the ideas back and forth, talk on the phone. Basically, while we're making a record, talk on the phone almost every day. Um, and that's that's how it works. But, you know, Bruno owns his own recording studio. I own my own recording studio. Um, it's kind of the world that we know. So making a record, you know, between both of us, we're both producers and engineers, it's pretty easy to figure out where we need to go. And it's pretty easy to figure out when something has a shortcoming of some sort, either musically or sonically. And um, yeah, yeah, it works. Well, let's talk about some of the songs that you've released ahead of the album. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about the inspiration behind Hey Life. Sure. Well, uh, both Bruno and I, well, hey, listen, everybody through the pandemic was getting frustrated and we were writing, we, we started writing this record kind of at the beginning of that. And, um, you know, uh, both of our parents, uh, you know, ended up having health problems. My mom, uh, my mom is in a wheelchair. Uh, she lost her husband to cancer. And, uh, so I, I, you know, that was all happening during making of this record. Um, he, he got very sick and, and, and lost his battle. And, um, and so then I began taking care of my mom and, uh, and Bruno had similar issues with his folks being in and out of the hospital. They're in their eighties. So, you know, it was just between the, everything with the pandemic and, and everything going on with our families, it was, uh, it was like making a record in a hurricane. So that song is kind of just him and I frustration, you know, uh, that life, you know, gets in the way of of uh, of everything else that's kind of, you know, good and happy and stuff in your life. 
um, there, there's a lot of tragedy and sorrow. So, and anger and all those things that go along with what everybody was experiencing. So yeah, that that's kind of the the genesis of that song. I'm sorry to hear it about your uh, your father and kind of the yeah, things your mom's going you. through. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a tough road, but um, but my mom's coming out the other side, and uh, she now moved, we built a, a apartment for her on my house that's fully handy accessible, and she moves in next Sunday. So that took about a year to build with all the city inspections and hoops you got to jump through. So yeah, it's like my Mother's Day for her begins next weekend. So so that's yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's 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 kind of wonderful full circle that uh, I can have the opportunity to repay her for what she's done for me. Absolutely. Now you get a little reflective on your second single, 19 Summertime. I think we all have those summertime memories that we look back on when we get older. Yeah, I, I listen, I want to write a song that was like, uh, you, you know, that was a time machine that just kind of took you back. And um, those songs like, you know, Bruno and I discussed this you know, a lot, those songs are actually a lot harder to write than a hard rock tune, a ballad or whatever, something that's kind of infectious, but, but, you know, is kind of true to the spirit that we had um, when we were that age. So I, I, you know, I I just kind of wanted to write the ultimate um, tribute to, to my childhood, you know, and, uh, and like I said, I feel like that song is a time machine because most people have heard it are like, dude, I put it on and I'm like, I'm back at this beach with this girl or that guy, you know, whatever. It's uh, I'm with my friends and we just, you know, graduated. Yeah, it's cool for me um, how, how people kind of translate that song. Do you have a third single that you're going to release when the album comes out? Yeah, actually, before the record comes out, the next single, I think it comes out next week. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the date, uh, but I'm a man of a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> and as my friends say, Paul Timers, um, <laughs> uh, it's called uh, Go Big or Go Home. And uh, I think it, it sounds like the video is going to look pretty epic. So I'm pretty excited what uh, Kinorama, which is the which is the film company in, in Italy that uh, handles all of our stuff. I'm pretty excited to see what they're going to do. It's kind of interesting, uh, wouldn't you say, that music video has kind of made its way back around. I bet there was a point where you thought you'd never make another music video. Oh, God. Yeah, and it came back around just when I don't want to make them. (laughs) You know, before we shot this video, I was like, oh, my God, I got to starve myself. Bruno and I were like support for each other. He's like, okay, I'm seven weeks and I've eaten a carrot and a boiled egg today. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, making a making a rock music video when you're over fifty is, uh, hey man, you do it. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh, they can edit you to look like anything you want. I mean, they do it in the superhero movies. Right, right, right. I wish we had that team. <laughs> <laughs> So there's got to be a story behind the album's title, Drive. There isn't a song called Drive. So what led to the album's title? Yeah, kind of was just, you know, something that we talked about while making this record. Like, why do we still have the drive to make this music, right? And also, it was every day that we 
we're working on something, Bruno and I would, you know, we talk, talk to each other. Okay. I'm going to put this in my car and drive and go, you know, check it out and see if it whole, you know, so that's what, that's how we basically check mixes. That's how, I mean, for me, because I'm responsible for writing a lot of the melodies and lyrics, I put the music in my, I put the tracks in my car and I just go and I pull over, right. For some reason, I seem to be able to compose lyrics and melodies while I'm driving my car. So, um, and that's every record I make, you know, I just put it in. And and so, yeah. And then there's kind of the nod and the wink, you know, the car is broken down. It's old, the wheels are falling off and it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Originally the idea is that we were skeletons in the car <laughs> and then they did a proof of it and it looked cool. But then I was like, ah, maybe this is too much of a joke, you know? So, so we put the car cartoon characters of ourselves back in the car. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully that answers the question. It does. Now you're three albums in. I, I don't think you guys have played live together. Is there any opportunities for that to happen? Yeah, actually we have played live together. Um we played Frontiers Festival, I think three uh, different years in Milan. We played Sweden Rock Festival. Uh, we did uh Rockingham in Nottingham. It's mainly we go to Europe. That's that's why you know people don't really know that we're playing that much um generally in this day and age i mean rock in europe is something that's financially feasible to be honest um you know the money that we get uh um for shows makes it worthwhile getting on a plane to go over there and you know we're kind of well past the age of you know getting in a van and driving around the country and and uh you know we'd have to probably do that in america we'd probably have to kind of do it old school and um so yeah it just makes sense really to go where the show offers are and uh where the audience is kind of all i mean festivals are easy because everyone's there there's a lot of people and um and it's it's pretty easy to um to make it work when everybody lives so far apart. I mean, Bruno lives in New York. I live on the West Coast. Rob lives in Stockholm, Sweden. Like, so, so yeah, let alone getting a drummer to go. So we always fly to Europe, do two days of rehearsal and then play. The festival circuit's kind of backed up still from the lockdowns and the pandemic. Have you guys got any plans to play anything in the future? Yeah, well, not not till for me with the defiance, probably not till next year. As I say, I've been looking after my mother this year and um, and last year. And and once she's moved in and I kind of can get the lay of the land and I can get some um, some more uh, uh, home support help, then I can head back out on the road again. So I'm kind of just looking at 2024 and taking care of my family first this year. Outside of the Defiance, you do a lot of music for movies and TV and and whatnot. Yeah. Um, you you got your hands full with that. I saw. I was going to list off a bunch of things that you've done, but you've done so much. Yeah, thank you. No, I I uh, I realized I realized right after the Defiance first record came out, I had a moment. I was I was uh, in uh, uh, Venice, Italy, of all places, and I got an email from Frontiers um saying hey uh your record just hit number 44 on the heat seekers chart on billboard and i was so ecstatic because i think i was 49 at the time <laughs> and uh I, I was like i never in my life would i think 
that this would happen to me. Um, and then I woke up the next morning and I kind of said, what next? I need to find a way. This is not sustainable. I need to find a way to keep composing um, for a living. And um, so that question was answered in a couple of weeks because of the defiance. I started getting companies reaching out for me to do to write for television, first of all. So I thought, yeah, I can do that till I'm 80, you know, uh, as long as I can still compose. So so that question was answered for me. And um, I, I jumped right in and started writing full time for for shows like Pawn Stars and Counting Cars and you name it. And uh, Monday Night Football, uh, Below Deck, like just from the really cool to the really ridiculous. I'm your boy. <laughs> so so then and then this this year was really really wonderful for me because i got a song in the new tom hanks movie so that was like uh you know i i'm a giant tom hanks fan so just to just to get to do that was a total honor and that movie is a man called otto Otto, yeah yeah now what i wanted to know about you know when you do music and tv stuff do you write an entire song or do you write it like in short do you write a short segment and then it gets used that way yeah that's a really good question okay yes most of the time i write an entire song um for television when i have to do vocal stuff um yeah it's a complete song and do they use the whole song no but they'll use it in bits and pieces you know so uh sometimes you know i'll have the same song in the same show three or four times but it's like oh they use the end outro chorus there they use the verse here and it just all depends what kind of mood they're setting up and what kind of um thread they're trying to weave through it right because music is always so subliminal in in film and television people don't i mean i realized that myself the first time uh you know i saw the first one of the first things I did, I was kind of like, oh, right. <laughs> it's just background music and behind, uh, you know, I thought it would be this great, exciting moment. And it was kind of like, right. They use, you know, 10 seconds of this three minute song. I wrote. But as time goes on, you know, you, you see what creative ways they use music. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of a roundabout answer. Uh, sometimes I am just writing literally orchestral music or country music or pop music. That's just bed music. I would say uh, 80% of what I do has vocals in it only because I am a vocalist and the companies I work for know that they can tap me to like, Hey, we need like a, you know, we need a Justin Timberlake like track to meet this, you know, or whatever it is. And so, yeah, you put on a lot of hats musically and that's kind of allowed me to, you know, grow as a musician, as a writer to, to be able to, uh, you know, have this other self that never gets bored because, you know, tomorrow I'm going to write polka music for some Italian wine show. <laughs> so, yeah. So do you submit these specifically to the show or the commercial or do, is there like a pool that you send your songs to that your song is chosen by these companies? No. Okay. So yeah, no, totally different way. Uh, I have a company, uh, a bunch of different companies I work for, uh, MIBE in New York. Um, so they are like, they have A&R people who are already doing specific shows. So working with the music supervisor. So when I get the call 
to work on a show, it's like, hey, Pawn Stars needs this. It must be this kind. We need three to five pieces of music. We need it handed in by next week. And so I write four shows specifically um, that it's going to. Now, sometimes I will be told, I won't even be told what the show is. I'll just be told, hey, it is a show about this, you know, uh, or I'll be, I'll get tapped to write themes for shows, you know, like I just, what was the last one I did? I did Adam Eats the 80s, uh, the Adam Richman uh, <laughs> show, right? I think it's on Discovery or History Channel or something like that. So, uh, you know, and, and those are very specific, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I rarely ever write for a library that where it doesn't get used. There's sort of no point. I work for Crucial, uh, which handles a lot of Netflix series. Um, so and that's very specific. It was Crucial who got uh, me the Tom Hanks movie. So, yeah, we just we had just have agents inside uh, those companies that that know our work and know what we're capable of and go. Yeah, that guy. Perfect fit for this show because the turnaround time is so fast. You so, have another you have another project called Jet Set Junkies with fellow Frontiers label mate Lee Revel from the Blood Red Saints. Uh, what's that yeah. all about? Well, so Lee and I, I got Lee the moment I got the TV. Lee and I have been friends, first of all, for for 30 something years. And we met at uh, at the show. It was an MTV Headbangers Ball tour in Europe. And uh, I think I, I was in Manchester. I met him where he's from. And uh, and the the tour was called Gods of AOR. And <laughs> so I'm I'm standing there during the day watching setup happen. It's a million bands over three days. And he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, hey, mate, he goes, if this is Gods of AOR, where the fuck's Journey? So, <laughs> so I, I, we started laughing and then we just became fast friends and we made a promise to each other on that tour. One day we would make a record together because I loved his guitar playing. And um, and so uh, we then again met at Frontiers Festival in 2016. I think he tapped me on the shoulder again. He goes, guess who's playing the show? I'm like, you're in it. OK, so. Uh, He's, he brought it because, hey, remember when we made this promise to, to, uh, to do a band together? I go, yeah, I'm still good. He goes, all right. So I go, hey, you want to work in television? <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, I, I, I've done some TV work over here. So we started composing together for, for TV and, you know, uh, together for some things and, of course, on our own for others. And then that's when we started. Um, we worked on this David Hasselhoff show called supercars of the 80s where they did uh the chips right the 18 car the chips car and night rider of course so we wrote a ton of music for that show and while we were doing that we wrote all this kind of hard rock stuff and we're like this we're not going to give this to this show let's actually make that the start of this record so yeah thank you david hasselhoff we started the jet set junkies from your show. So yeah, that's, that's what, and we've just been slowly putting, I think we have about seven tracks now in the can. We just released one teaser single uh, because, you know, I think people thought it was fictitious because I was talking about it all the time. So, uh, and then, you know, uh, the, everything happened in my life and the defiance new record kind of all came in. So I had to put it on hold. So yeah, we're going to get back to it. Awesome. Uh, let's go back 
hit the time machine 33 years if we could to stick it in your ear. Yeah, a sure. Fantastic album. Really made me a Paul. It, it, it made me a fan of yours. Thank you. It, so much so that 15 years ago, uh, when my wife was pregnant, if we had a girl, it was going to be Doriana. Oh, man. You had a boy, you lucky, lucky man. <laughs> we we didn't name lovely. it Paul. We didn't name it Paul. Sorry. Yeah, okay, this interview's over. <laughs> but what, what do you kind of remember of putting together that album? You were a fresh face on the scene. You just signed to Electra, I believe. So it was probably a pretty big deal for you. Yeah, it was a massive deal. Um, you know, I was a kid. I, I was 17 when I wrote most of the songs on that record. And uh, I spent two years trying to get a record deal and finally did. And I guess the good thing about it was um, at the time uh, I got three major record deal offers and that allowed me to um, create a bidding war. Whereas basically what winning me was giving me Bruce Fairburn. This is basically the first label that gives me Bruce Fairburn. I'm your guy, which was impossible and very cocky at the time because him and Bob Rock were the two kind of arguably biggest producers in the world and Mutt Lang as well. But, you know, uh, Bruce and Bruce was local. I wanted to make my dream as a kid was to make a record at Little Mountain Studios in Vancouver where all those great albums were made. So, yeah, it was it was a whirlwind for me. I I started pre-production um, uh, on that album uh, when Aerosmith was making Pump with Fairburn. So uh, uh, he just brought me to the studio and said, watch these guys make a record. I want you to watch and learn and, you know, bring your songs in. And uh, we'll, we'll on my breaks, I'll start kind of vetting them and and telling you what I think should be cut and what shouldn't be. But you know, George, I, I went in there. My first thing was, you know, I saw Steven Tyler work and I was like, I, I want to quit. I, I think that this is like, I'll, I'll fucking never be that guy. I'll never be as good as that. And, um, and Steven was very cool. Um, taught me a lot about kind of how to get, how to think about writing. You know how to how to work uh, kind of on inspiration all the time instead of getting you know caught up in my own uh, head about things. Um, how to approach lyric writing, how to approach melody writing from from the simple standpoint of, you know, don't let lyrics get in the way. Just scat the melody. Don't sit there and try and write out every single thing in a linear format. So uh, hugely influential and. Um, in, in two ways, musically and also basically just how to conduct yourself in that environment, you know? So, so yeah, that was my kind of like a uh, kid from a small town, boom, I'm in the thick of it. And uh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, um, some of my best memories, you know? Was there a real Doriana? Everyone asked me that question. Yes, there was. <laughs> 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 and I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> After you put the album together and you put your singles out there, what was it like kind of for this young kid to hear his song on the radio for the first time? Oh my God. I was trying, I'll never forget it. I was, uh, I was driving down the, uh, down the highway, uh, listening to the radio 
And all of a sudden the announcer starts talking, you know, talking about this single con like pull. Actually, I didn't even have a driver's license yet. I was like, <laughs> I, I got my driver's license when I was like 24. Can you believe it? Oh my God. Anyways, uh, pull the car over, pull the car over. And yeah, I just like, I lost my mind. And then, uh, you know, a few weeks later I was out on the road playing with uh, Joan Jett and uh, yeah. Um, uh, and Joe Satriani and just like, you know, a million different people and touring across Canada at first. And um, I had my idea of what um, having a record deal and fame and any sort of that kind of thing was instantly changed from the other side because you realize, oh, my God, this is just all hard work. It's never stops. You're you're on the road. And then when you're on the road, you're touring, you're getting up at five to do interviews with blah, blah, blah. You know, at my childhood idea of what it was to be a rock star was not, was like full stop. Uh, you know, you're going to have to work hard all the time. So yeah, good times. Sort of a landmark coming up for the album, the 35th anniversary. Is there any way you can do something special for that? that uh... yeah we're, i think uh frontiers has approached me about uh doing a, a re-release of the vinyl and uh i believe that that's going to happen um they just uh, uh made an offer on it and uh, i think i'm going to take it that's good so, I, I was a yeah. little worried that you didn't have the music i would that no, no no i i own the record uh i got the rights to the album back in uh in just, i don't know by 95 or whatever through a through a, a a lawsuit that little mountain had taken against the label and um yeah that's a whole other that's a whole it'll be out in my book called <laughs> my name is nobody <laughs> well certainly uh stick it in your ear reached enough people for you know you still to be making music today so you're not you're not nobody per se it's just it may be you know bigger in europe bigger in europe kind of like in the 80s bigger in japan yeah you know that's really true as south america same thing it's weird how there are pockets i guess it's not so weird it's just you know when you when you get a record deal you think oh you know america canada like that's going to be my oyster and and so very often it's other pockets in the world that take it for whatever reason and latch onto it and and play the hell out of it. So I've been, you know, really fortunate um, to uh, or unfortunate to always have to get on a plane to go play the show. <laughs> but, you know, I get to go to Australia. I get to go to Europe and uh, I, I have a ton of offers from South America. I think I'm going to finally go down there uh, uh, probably next year and uh, and play some shows for the first time. Uh, you mentioned it briefly uh, towards the beginning of the interview. Uh, your project Dark Horse came out in 2014. Let It Ride was the album, sort of a country rock hybrid. Uh, do you have any plans yeah. to kind of revisit this in the future? Yeah, I think so. I have. I I recorded the second album, which is which I'm super proud of, and no one's ever heard. Uh, you know, I like to think of it as like southern rock with a little bit of country in there, but. Um, you know, it's my modern day version of Leonard Skinner meets, uh, uh, I don't know, pop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I'll end up putting it out when I have the time to, to actually get behind it. I mean, the next year is going to be all about the defiance and, uh, you know, probably doing more after doing the, getting to be part of that Tom Hanks movie, like more and more movie stuff I'm going to do, you know, so I'm going to. 
I don't know, man, diversify, just keep it all going. <laughs> you know, I'm 55 now. I'm just like, I'm trying to like, just keep grinding it out. Well, you sound like you're hitting your stride and the, I hope you, got so. the <laughs> you got the new Defiance album coming out on June 9th through Frontiers Music. It's called Drive. Fantastic album. I've always been a fan of your work since the very first solo albums. And this has been a something I can cross off my bucket list, finally being able to talk to you. All right. Thank you, George. I appreciate it, man. And I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks. Yeah, anytime, man. Anytime. Once again, I want to thank Paul Lane of The Defiance for coming on the Rock is George podcast. Be sure to check out their latest album, Drive, when it's released on June 9th through Frontiers Music. Head over to your favorite streaming platform. Check out the music that's available. If you like what you hear, buy a physical copy. Support the artist. For all things The Defiance, head over to their Facebook page slash The Defiance Official. For all things Paul Lane, head over to his Facebook page slash Paul Lane Official. I also want to thank John Freeman of Freeman Promotions and Frontiers Music for making this interview possible. You've been great. I've been George Dion. Discover your next favorite artist on the Rock is George podcast.